We, we pray and we thank God for what he is already doing in this service. Amen. I uh, want to welcome and uh, thank Taylor for being with us this morning and leading our team and the rest of our team as we worship together. My name is Tom. I'm the pastor here. And if you're here in person, if you're joining us from home, um, we're just grateful. We're grateful that you're here. And uh, a couple of announcements before we get started. The first one is we have something we call the Connect Card. Um, if you're new, if you would fill that out for us, there's a link right here on the screen and at home in the description. Um, it lets us know you're here so that we can send you a note thanking you for worshiping with us. Um, also, if you have prayer requests, if you have questions, if there's a way we can serve you, whether you're new or not, um, this is a great way for us to, to stay in contact. So please consider doing that. Um, also, if you'd like to give an offering as an act of worship, if you're here in person, there's a box as you enter and exit the church sanctuary and online. There's a link here on the description and a text um, number that you can text to give as well. So uh, we thank and praise God for uh, so many of you who have been faithful and continue to be faithful in this way as we worship God together. Um, last uh, but not least, I want to call attention to something that I talked about this past Wednesday, if you were here for Ash Wednesday. It's called our weekly prayer and practice. Today is the first Sunday in a season in the church that we call Lent. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that during the message this morning. Um, but these are some practices that Christians all around the country and throughout history have gone back to God's word uh, to draw closer to him by doing during this season of Lent. And uh, this packet is going to be sent to you each week with a different challenge, a different opportunity to grow in your faith, um, but you can also grab it in paper form here at the church if you'd prefer that as you enter or exit the sanctuary. But for right now, um, as we prepare to hear God's word, uh, let's take just a moment as we think about and as we contemplate where we are at and the journey that we are on with Jesus to the cross and beyond. Let's watch. Before the empty tomb and glorious resurrection. Before the scandal of the cross. Before Palm Sunday, the calling of disciples, and all the wonders of his ministry. Jesus traveled first to the wilderness, to the solitude and desolation of rock and sand. A king above kings experiencing the hunger and destitution of man. And when the time came for temptation, despite 40 days of deprivation, the Lion of Judah stood firm, confounding every attack with the power of his perfection. In this season of Lent, we share in his sacrifice, not to experience anguish or to portray a counterfeit righteousness, but to draw closer to his holy presence. We withdraw from our distractions. We cast aside treasures and possessions, forsaking all that would separate us from his love. In this desert, he is the source of what sustains us, the joy in our surrender, the peace that surpasses all understanding. He is our hope in Lent. God, you are our hope, and as we open up your word, we pray that that hope would be spoken to us through these words, 
that we might learn and grow in our faith in you, that we might become more like you when we leave than when we came. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you brought a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up. If you're at home, go find your Bible, take it out. We're going to be in the Gospel of Mark today, chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we've said a couple times already in this service, today is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, and it's the beginning of a new sermon series as well that we're calling Back to the Basics. This is the 40 days that take us from where we are right now to the cross and beyond with Jesus to Easter. And we're calling the series Back to the Basics because that's really what Lent is about at its core. It is, it is a recalibration of our faith. A faith that while there are aspects that can be quite complicated, the most essential elements are actually quite basic. This is why when Jesus was asked to summarize the entire Old Testament law and prophets, he said we can really boil it down to two things, and you probably know what they are. Love God and love Others, love your neighbor, those two basic things. But before we get any further, I, I don't want to confuse basic with easy because they're not the same thing. And, and if you don't believe me, we've got an illustration that's very easy to look at. Just look at what's happening this week to our brothers and sisters in Texas. Uh, after experiencing record snowfall and freezing temperatures, weather they're not used to like we are here in Wisconsin, countless people were without power. Some still are. And as I'm sure you're all very aware in watching the news, it has led to so many people in a position of dangerous lack of basic necessities. Uh, people who don't have things like a warm place to sleep or food to eat or clean water to drink. And what we see highlighted in, in crises like this is that getting back to the basics, even if they're just basics, is not simple or easy. And it's actually so overwhelming that there's little time to think about anything else. I'm sure most people in Texas this week have been thinking about maybe getting a new bigger TV sometime in the next couple of weeks. Just not thinking that's on the forefront of their minds. A lot of people are running to Home Depot, but they're going for pipes and generators. I'll bet the paint department's been pretty slow this week as well. See, crises have this moment that, that gives us this opportunity to see the basics and their importance. 
and how much they shine. I saw an article a few days ago. It was about a, a furniture store in Houston that's owned by a man. His name's Mattress Mac. His name's Jim, Jim uh, McInvale, and some of you are nodding, so maybe you read this too. Um, back in 2017, in the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, uh, Mattress Mac looked around. He had this 100,000 square foot, think of like a Steinoffels or a Colders, like these huge furniture stores. And he looked at this business that he started in like 1981, I think it was. And he didn't see a business in the midst of the crisis. He saw the basics of what people needed. He had beds and tables and couches. And so he opened up his showrooms as, as places that people could go for shelter. And just this last week, he did the same thing again in his Houston store. And hundreds of people came to stay in his showroom that didn't have a place to go. And there's a couple of pictures that I gave Pammy to show you. Here's, here you'll see it looks like somebody's living room, but, but the plastic is still on the lamp in the corner. And that chair that those two people are sitting on their cell phones on is $2,449. Um, you go to the next picture here. Uh, you've got a woman in a walker walking by the sign. Um, if you go to the next one, uh, this one is, is just incredible to me. It's all of the, it looks like a, a cafeteria, but these are kitchen table sets that are for sale and all of these people are sitting there eating food um, the next picture you'll see a bunch more people sitting around chairs and tables and then the last one is a picture of mattress mac or mattress jim whatever his name is he's serving his guests as he brings in food and he had to bring in portable toilets because even their pipes were frozen games for the kids to play it's all basic right? These are all basics. Basics, though, that literally became a lifeline for people this week that did not have them. And I highlight this because the same can be said about the basics of our faith and our relationship with God. They're just as essential as the necessities of shelter and food and water are to our physical lives. Basic is not simple and it's not easy. And not only that, but the most basic things can have the power to change our lives. And that brings us into this series and it brings us into our reading today. Our reading is from Mark's Gospel, the story of the good news of Jesus. And I'm mindful that in 2020 during the season of Lent, we spent the whole season in Mark. Um, but I'm also mindful that that was like a pandemic ago. So most of us don't remember what we talked about back then. Um, so I'll remind you that I shared with you then that Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, the good news of Jesus. It's focused and to the point. And our reading today begins with the moment where Jesus is set apart for his ministry on earth by his cousin, John the Baptist. But see, John the Baptist had actually been preparing other people for the coming of Jesus just before that. And so a few verses in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, just before our reading, it says, In the, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written by Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John was preparing the world for the coming of Jesus. And it was a very simple, basic message. It was let go 
of whatever it is that you're holding on to so that your hands are open that you might be able to grab hold of Jesus when he arrives. And so we fast forward to verse 9. Jesus has come, and little did John know, but not only would God use him to prepare the world for Jesus, he would also use him to prepare Jesus for the world. Read this again in verse 9. It says, At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, came from home, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open. Just, just imagine this for a second. And just imagine other people that have gathered here to be baptized themselves. This is a little bit different. The heavens open up. The Spirit descends down on Jesus like a dove. And a voice came from heaven that said, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, it's actually a pretty basic proclamation, isn't it? Pretty basic words that the Father declares over and within Jesus. It is who he is and whose he is. And that is the first basic that we're going to learn today about our faith. And that is that there is power in knowing who you are and whose you are. There's power in knowing who you are and whose you are. And we see this because before Jesus' earthly ministry even began, God the Father looks down on Jesus the Son and he says something. And he could have said anything. He opened up the lines of communication by breaking open the heavens. He could have said, you know, Jesus, just warning the Judas guy you're going to call to follow you, bad news. Keep an eye out on that guy. He could have given him some warnings. He could have given him some instructions on his first ministry assignment. But he doesn't do any of those things. Instead, the father says, you are my son. I want you to know that I love you. And I'm proud of you. That's what he says. And I love this. I love this as a parent myself. I can understand, at least on some level, the power of these words. Just one example, our two-and-a-half-year-old, he's, he's learning how to use the potty right now. This is a big deal in the DeGroote household, like huge deal. And, and I am convinced that, that he is doing such a good job, and he is doing such a good job, and it's because his motivation is 90% praise from other people when he uses the potty, and it's 10% M&Ms because... I mean, come on, like, like we, all, we all get motivated by chocolate, and, and so does he. But when you tell him that he does a good job, when you tell him that, that he's done a good job on the potty, his little face fills up so much with joy that, that sometimes he has to look away. Like he's two and a half, he can't even take it. He's got to look away. When I come home from church some days during the week, he will run to me, he will grab me, and the first thing he says to me is, Daddy, 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 I went to the potty. Now, do you think he's telling me that to give me just a basic factual rundown of what happened that day? No. As a matter of fact, he stands there and waits for me to tell him, you did such a good job. He waits for me to, to praise him and to affirm him and to tell him just how proud we are. See, there's power in these words. And we see this so much more so at the very beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross where the Father uses the same words to affirm his Son as well. 
But a little bit of biblical background I want to point out is that, that these words is not the first time that, that a Jewish person would have heard these words. They're, they're actually an echo of words that were spoken for generations. And they come from Psalm chapter 2, from a poem, a song. And it was a song that was used for generations before Jesus at the coronation of Israel's kings. The kings that would come after King David. Specifically, these are the words that, that God would speak over the kings as they were installed. Look at this. Psalm chapter 2, verse 7, it says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. So you're becoming the king of God's nation. These are the words that they sing. You are my son. Today, I have become your father. God says this to the king. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. To the ends of the earth, your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now, why do you think it was important for the kings of Israel to know that they are gods on the moment that they're installed as king? Well, because they're going to come up against adversity. They're going to come up against evil in this world that God has actually ordained them to fight. And they need to know that God is on their side, that they are his. They need to remember that. They also need to remember that he's the source of any success that they're going to have as they achieve that success on his behalf as his chosen leader because inevitably they're going to get tempted into the evil around them to take credit for things they don't deserve credit for. And so they're going to need to know that. And they're going to need to have the confidence to stand their ground and to trust that God's way is the best way. The problem is, up until Jesus, none of these kings ever reached that potential. The words that were sung over them, they never reached their full potential. King David didn't. His son Solomon didn't. None of the kings that came after did until King Jesus. And so picture the baptism not just as a baptism, but it's also a coronation of the king of kings with the father himself looking down on Jesus and saying, you are my son, I love you, I am pleased in you. And as basic as that message might sound, it is words that would literally carry Jesus through the rest of his journey to the cross. And Mark shows us that that abruptly continues the moment that he comes out of the water. There's no honeymoon period. Look at verse 12. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. Now Mark doesn't elaborate on the details here, but thankfully we've got other gospel writers that do. And you may know the story. Satan, for 40 days, tempted Jesus. And he tempted him in at least three ways. The first one is hunger. He said, you're hungry. He did it after he had not eaten for like 40 days. And he says, why don't you take these stones and turn them to bread. And here's what Jesus said. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, this was a quote from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And it was a quote that harks back to a story of God's people. Back at a time where they were hungry, and they couldn't provide for themselves, and so God provided food called manna that came up from the ground, but really came down from heaven. And so by quoting that, Jesus is basically saying, I am the son of the father. I don't need to make bread. 
God is going to provide for my every need. And he goes on and gives basically the same answer the next time. Verse 5, it says, The devil took Jesus to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, and it really is written, this is part of God's word, he will command his angels concerning you, they, he will, they will lift up you in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. But Jesus answered him and said, this is also written in the Bible, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so who's right? Well, of course, Jesus. Well, why? It's actually quite logical. If you have a child, right, who knows that they're dearly loved and protected by their parent, do they have to run out into a busy street or climb up to the second story and jump out the window and say, you know what, I know my daddy loves me, and so I'm going to jump out the window. I'm going to see if he catches me. Does a child have to do that if they know that they're loved? Does a child have to test the love of their parents if they already know? No, because they already know their parent loves them. They don't need to test it. And so that's what Jesus was saying. You don't need to test the Lord. He's already told me that I'm his son. He's proud of me. He loves me. I don't need to jump off of this to test his love. Last, the devil takes him up to a high place, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, tells Jesus that if you just worship the devil... You could have everything. And Jesus says this, get away from me, Satan. It is written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only. And the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Worship God. Why? Because everything is the Father's, right? Everything is the Father's. And if you know that you are his, then that means everything is yours as well. And I share all of these details to just make the point that that knowing Jesus' basic identity gave him the strength to get through all of these things. It gave him the strength to endure all of these testings. It was even an opportunity for him to go into the wilderness and see the way in which God would provide for him as the good father that he is. And this is elaborated even further in Matthew chapter 7. He teaches about the love of the father. Jesus says this. He says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Now notice something, though. In this passage, it's no longer just about Jesus and about his Father and the relationship with him. Jesus is now speaking to you. He's speaking to me that you and I might find our most basic identity as sons and daughters of the Father as well. This is what Jesus came to do. Look at John chapter 1. It says this, Yet to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, see, this is what it means to believe in Jesus, a basic truth. He gives them the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent or a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, adopted into the family of God just as Jesus always was from the very beginning of time. And this speaks to me because last um, Sunday, February 14th, was, was Valentine's Day. And it's a, it's a special day for for our family, not just because it's Valentine's Day. And I I didn't share this in my message last week because it just didn't fit in, but it does today. Um, Because one year ago on February 14th, uh, our family officially adopted our daughter Sophie 
into our family. And uh, here's a picture of her with the gavel. It was a little, they were pretty trusting giving her that hammer there, but she was pretty cute. And um, ever since, and a lot of you, you know, if you've been around St. John's for at least a year, you, you know this story. You know that, that Sophie was actually with us from the moment that, that she was born. Um, but it took until almost three years later, February 14, 2020, before her name, her identity changed to Sophie de Groot. And I was reflecting on this before church last weekend, and I was just thinking about all the things we were doing on that day and just how significant it was. And, and I want to tell you, you know what one of my favorite new sounds in the whole world is ever since that day? It's anyone whoever says her full name. Anybody who ever speaks her full name is one of my favorite sounds in the world. I'll cry just telling you. I don't care who says it. I could be sitting in a doctor's office and the receptionist says, Sophie de Groot. And I'm like, oh, I start crying. I mean, even, even if I have to fill out paperwork, I love and I smile when I get to write down her name, even when I discipline her. You know, a parent, any good parent, right, when they're really in trouble and you say their full name, and I go, Sophie de Groot. And then I have to look away because almost every time I am overwhelmed by the reminder that I get to be her father and she is my daughter. Friends, that's a basic thing, right? But it is not simple. It matters, and it has literally changed not just her life, but our life as well. Friends, Jesus came to do that for you. He came to change your name. He came to change your identity. He didn't come to be affirmed by the Father as the Son of God. Here's the deal. Jesus didn't have to come to earth to find that out. He already knew. He was already with God from before the creation. He already knew all of these things. He, it's all could have just taken place in heaven. He's been with the Father forever. He didn't come to earth to be affirmed in his own position with God. That has always been and it always will be. He came so that you would hear the words that he heard that you too might hear that you are adopted as a son or a daughter of the Father in heaven. That is everything that Jesus is about to do to go to the cross and beyond. And he did it for you because he loves you. And I'm not making this up because adoption is close to my heart. It's close to the heart of God. Romans 8, 15. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he, say it with me, adopted you. When he adopted you as his own children. And so now we call him Daddy, Abba, Father. Or maybe you prefer the coronation imagery. Look at 2 Peter 2.9. It says this. But you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Why? Because the basic truth 
is that in Jesus you are God's and he is yours. And that's a promise that's made apart from anything that you could possibly do on the day of your baptism. Baptism that represents for us what we are utterly incapable of doing for ourselves. What Jesus came to accomplish on our behalf when he entered into the waters ourselves. For when we go down into the waters, we remember our death. Also that Romans 6, 5, if we have been united with him in a death like his, that we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his as well. And this is what leads us back to Lent. This is why this season is important. It's not an empty ritual. It's not something that, that's forced upon us. It's a gift. It's a gift for us that, that we might unite with Jesus in small ways in his suffering, that we might taste his hope and his glory. I shared this, this last Ash Wednesday, just this last week, that that, every, that we want to invite you to, to enter into some of the basic ways that Christians participate in this. And, and this week what we're going to be doing is we're going to be participating in the discipline of fasting. If you're on our email list, you'll get a link to all of this. If you got this packet um, when you came on Ash Wednesday, or you can grab one of these when you leave. If you prefer to have a paper copy, you'll get it as well. Um, but each week we're going to pick a different devotional, and this week or a different discipline. And this week it's going to be the discipline of fasting. And in the email, there's a little video that kind of gives the biblical background and the historical background of how we practice uh, fasting as Christians and why it's important. But in short, what it is, is it's teaching us uh, that God provides for all of our needs. We, we choose to fast from something. We choose to give something up for a period of time so that as we have those needs and we realize that we survive, that, that God is providing us for us in the midst of them, then we will learn that lesson so that we can know it when we come up against seasons in our lives where we need him to provide for us in seasons that we did not choose to step into. And so this week, I want to challenge you as, as, as read in the email that you're going to get, and that's to pick one day this week and to fast. And, and the simplest way to do that is, is just not to, not to eat anything from, from after dinner the night before until dinner the next day. Drink water. Medical professionals will tell you don't get dehydrated. We don't want anybody to get sick. And if you have dietary reasons that, that maybe you need to eat certain, you have to have sugar or something like that, this is not legalism. Uh, maybe you can't give up food. Maybe that's not the thing that you can do. Maybe instead you give up your cell phone. Can you imagine giving up your cell phone for 24 hours? No, I'm sorry. Some of you are like, what kind of church did I enter into, right? What do you think God might do in your life? If for 24 hours you didn't know what people were saying on Facebook, what do you think God might do if for 24 hours you didn't catch up on the latest breaking news? What do you think the lesson might be if you gave that up and God showed you that you did end up knowing what you needed to know and you actually were able to be more focused on the things that were most important because you gave up this one thing for 24 hours. Jesus gave up these basic things for 40 days because it prepared him for where he was going to the cross. And we have the opportunity, the blessing of participating in that gift this week as well. And I want to encourage you to do that because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God.
And let's join together now as we enter into this week and and let's pray for God to to strengthen us to do just that. Lord Jesus, I want to thank and praise you that that you are with us and that we are with you and that in you we find our most basic identity as sons and daughters of the Father. That we have a Father in heaven who knows to give us good things, that knows our every need and is there ready to bless and keep us. And so God, I pray that we would grow in our understanding of that this week that we might grow in our trust in you, that we might partake in a small part of your suffering, that you would give us the faith to give something up for 24 hours this week, that maybe even right now that we would pick the day and the time that we're going to do it and that we would set it apart and that we would ask you to give us the faith that we need to be faithful And that you would be faithful back. God, that you would be faithful in providing for our every need. God, that we would know what we need to know. And that in doing this thing, that it would draw us even closer to an awareness of your love and your provision in our life in all times as sons and daughters of you.